The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so uh, today on episode 34, we have Shay Houdman, CEO of GotQuestions.org. Shay possesses a bachelor's degree in biblical studies from Calvary University and a master's degree in Christian theology from Calvary Theological Seminary and is currently pursuing a master of theology degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. Shay, welcome to Master's Crib. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Really looking forward to it. So um, let's just take a couple minutes and talk about you and your ministry. So how exactly does gotquestions.org come into existence? So um, we launched gotquestions.org in February of 2002. So it's crazy to think it was 18 and a half years ago. Um, Long story short, as you said, I went to Bible college and seminary, but I didn't really feel a clear calling from the Lord into any of the quote-unquote traditional forms of ministry. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm a much better writer than I am a public speaker. Um, I joke that I don't like teenagers, so that kind of eliminates a lot of (laughs) ministry positions between those two. So my wife and I were just praying, like, Lord, what would be the the ministry that would be a perfect fit for us? Um, The internet was just starting to be something that most people had in their homes. High-speed internet was making the internet more usable. Um, Some ministries were starting to launch websites, but it was primarily just like an online brochure. You couldn't actually do anything. So um, God just gave us the idea of um, launching a Christian website where people could just come and ask any questions they have about the Bible. Um, Never dreamed or envisioned it becoming anything other than just a hobby mm. and just whatever real ministry God called us to. Well, God obviously had much bigger things in mind. So God took the little um, idea we had for a hobby and over the last 18 and a half years has transformed and exploded it into one of the most um, frequently visited Christian websites in the world. Just to kind of give you an idea, just so far this year, um, we've had... Um, nearly um, 100 million page views the people that's viewing content on our website um, so that's wow if you, would have, if you were to have told us that 18 years ago we would have laughed at you oh no way but um yeah it's grown from just my wife and i hacking away at computers trying to answer all the questions to a team of 10 employees some over 200 volunteers helping us answer all the questions and um, multiple contractors, whether they're doing videos for us or translations or writing content or so forth. It's it's amazing to see what um, God has taken, got questions that are going to made it far beyond anything we ever asked or imagined. Wow. One hundred million, eight zeros. That is a lot of views. That is a lot of people that are out there searching. That is amazing. Absolutely. I mean, 
the, or the first time we got a visitor is exciting. And now that happens multiple times every second. So that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. So, so in all that you're doing, what is the mission of your ministry? I mean, what's, what's the, the one nail that you're, that you're hanging in the wall? What's the focal point of what you're doing? I can give you our mission statement, which is, I'll probably misquote it, but um, to give um, biblical, applicable, and timely answers to spiritually-related questions using the Internet. So essentially, anywhere people are searching for truth, we want to be there with um, biblically-based answers. So mm. um, we primarily started just from text-based articles on a website, and then eventually we started doing translations of those into other languages, and then eventually audios, audio recordings of the answers and for podcasting, and then videos on YouTube and um, apps for iPhone and Android, and um, even got a, a app for Alexa where people can ask Alexa and have Alexa read got questions content to you. So really, anywhere people are searching, we want to be there with solid answers because sadly, there's a lot of garbage on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of sites out there giving very poor answers. So we want to be there to combat that with as much as we possibly can, striving to give solid, biblically-based, easy-to-understand answers. Mm. So I love to ask the legacy question. Um, it, it's, it's always really reflective. So uh, let's just say, uh, just for the sake of argument, that tomorrow the Lord ends the ministry of God Answer, or excuse me, GodQuestions.org. Like tomorrow it's over. And you look back over the last 18 and a half years, what is your one hope that was accomplished? Huh. That wasn't on your list of questions you were going to ask. Oh. <laughs> So, um, wow, um, tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, I can look back at, um, and a lot of people ask us questions like directly related to the gospel. Mm. They ask them, how can I know for sure I go to heaven when I die? Um, what's the way of salvation? Is Jesus the only way? Questions like that where we get to just, it's awesome, get to share someone, share the gospel with someone. Yeah. When, how many times do you have someone walk up to you and say, hey, how can I get saved? Well, we get that hundreds of times every day. Oh, um, wow. So the coolest legacy, the things I'd point to the most is the number of people who have either read our pages that present the gospel or the number of people who from that have then professed a statement, uh, made a profession of faith mm -hmm. to us from um, reading one of our articles that presents the gospel or from actually asking us a question um, Every month, right now, over um, 6,000 people are making a profession of faith. And we've had numbers where it's been over 10,000. So this is amazing to see that um, the first time someone asks us that question, I asked my wife, it's like, hey, can someone get saved on the Internet? <laughs> um, and over the years, we've seen we, what we think. I mean, I would guess hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. So if God questions ends tomorrow, the uh, greatest legacy I would say is the, how God used the website to bring thousands of people to him. Mm. Well, that is an amazing legacy. That is, that is really, really awesome. 
So uh, let's take a couple minutes, you and I, and, uh, and tear into God's Word. We're going to one of those passages that, uh, that people have a lot of questions about, and um, particularly atheists like to use it against us to prove God to be a moral monster, and that's from Exodus 11. So I'd just like to read it. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of all the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went to Pharaoh in hot anger. He went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, excuse me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So, what is the reason that God chooses to judge Egypt in this way? Now, yeah, so we get the question of um, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart um, mm. fairly frequently? Because it's one of the ones that it's a question that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How is it fair for God to harden someone's heart and then um, to punish them for the decisions they make with a hardened heart? Um, but I know I think we deal with that a little bit later in the conversation. But um, I think the key point is if you look in the book of Exodus and when the plagues started happening for the first few plagues, it's the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, that despite knowing, okay, clearly God is the God of the Hebrews is telling me to let the people go. I'm not going to do it. Um, so Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then at the judgment later, God hardened Pharaoh's heart further to allow um, further judgments to come. And still hard to understand, but it helps to get the perspective of, no, Pharaoh brought this on himself by hardening his own heart. But what about these, um, the plagues on the firstborn? I mean, how could a loving God um, send a plague that results in the death of all the firstborn sons of Egypt? Well, if you look earlier in Exodus, um, Exodus chapters 1 and 2, I believe it's in early chapters of Exodus, um, the Egyptians were slaughtering all of the um, male babies born to the Israelites. Mm. Any male baby was born, they would throw the baby into the Nile because they thought the Israelites were getting too powerful and that um, eventually there'd be too many Israelites for the Egyptians to control. So 
Um, oftentimes, if we, even today, if we heard of a nation who was doing something like this, say they, a ethnic minority group in a nation or the ethnic majority was killing all the babies that were born, the whole world would cry out and say, we've got to stop this, that this nation needs to be destroyed for the evil that they're doing. And yet somehow when God brings judgment for something that we would all um, say needs to be judged, we somehow think that God is unjust for doing it. So in a sense, God's judgment on the Egyptians of killing their firstborn sons was in a sense a result of them earlier um, murdering the male children of the Israelites. So um, this, don't call it karma because that's a different concept, but in a sense, um, be sure your sins will find you out. Mm. Um, payback is often very painful. So um, my answer to that question was, I mean, it's this is God's judgment on the Egyptians for what they did to the Israelites earlier mm. in Exodus. And it's the God's ultimate proclamation of, I am superior to Pharaoh. I am superior to all the false gods of Egypt. And this is my ultimate sign of that power by showing you um, what I can do and bringing judgment on you for your sins. Mm. So that's, that's really interesting because um, one of the complaints that I hear often when speaking to, um, to people that are agnostic or, or atheists is um, they always want to uh, point out within the Bible that he is the God of the Hebrews. So the next question I have for you is, is directly from uh, these people that I've talked to. How does God have authority to judge a nation outside of his chosen people? He's already picked a people that's his. I'm playing devil's advocate here, obviously, but he's already picked a people that's his, that he's dealing with. So why is it that he's now straying from his people and affecting people outside of Israel? Now that, that's a really interesting question. Um, the God chose to reveal himself primarily to the Hebrews. Um, he used Moses, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to progressively reveal himself to who he was to the Israelites. And then one of the Israelites did since be his missionaries to proclaim, hey, we know who the one true God is. And then like the kingdom of priests concept where Israelites would proclaim the one true God to the all nations. So the fact that he was the God of the Hebrews doesn't mean he was some regional deity or he only cared about the Hebrews. Like, no, he chose the Hebrews to be his people, but that doesn't mean he's not also the, the God of the Egyptians, the God of the Assyrians and Babylonians and um, all the other peoples of the world. He just chose one particular nation to focus on, on to use to be his um, his people, his missionaries, so to speak. So now God was still the God of the Egyptians. They just didn't realize that. So I don't think it's unfair for God to judge the Egyptians because he was just as much their creator and God as he was the creator and God of the Israelites. Mm, that's awesome. So we're going to get to that question now that you were speaking of a little bit earlier, touched on. So why will God judge Pharaoh 
when he's the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart. It seems as though there's some sort of contradiction here, and this is something that will be pointed out quite often by people. If God's responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart, then how is it that Pharaoh is in a position to be judged by God? Yeah, so yeah, I um, touched on this briefly earlier. Um, the first few plagues, when God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, Instead, let my people to go so they may worship me in the wilderness. Pharaoh says no. And um, Moses says, if you don't, bad things are going to happen. And Pharaoh says, bring it on, essentially. First few plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So by refusing to listening, by refusing to listen to God and God's messenger, um, hardening his own heart, Pharaoh brought the judgment on him, himself and his nation. So um, it's kind of hard to explain, but in a sense, you have to have a proper understanding of sin to really grasp this. I mean, any sin we commit against God is worthy of um, eternal separation from God, is worthy of judgment. So to say that um, God was being unjust to Pharaoh is not fully understanding what sin is mm-hmm. and how God views it. Um, the first time Pharaoh sinned against God and refused to listen, God was completely within his rights to judge him. And so the fact that God chooses to harden Pharaoh's heart further and bring more judgments does not invalidate the fact that Pharaoh himself brought it on himself by refusing to listen to God in the beginning. hope that makes sense. I don't know if I'm explaining it super well, but... Um, no, it does. It does. Pharaoh sinned and therefore brought all this on him, including the judgment of having his heart hardened further in that mm. sense. Well, that's a, that's that's really that's actually really good. That's really deep, and that's that's exactly what I was looking for. So, um, just thinking for a second about you know the accusations that are brought out against God often, um, you know these these atheists um, pick through parts of the Bible, they do their cherry picking, and they find ways that they can somehow prove that we should not use the Bible as a guide for morals. So it's typically always if they can undermine the morality of God, then they can undermine the morality of the Bible, and we have no case. So I've heard, as I'm sure you have, people say, oh, well, the flood was immoral because God drowned even the babies. And then you hear in Exodus here that, um, that God is immoral because he destroys even the firstborn babies. But does that really somehow bring into question God's morality? There's something about um, killing children that um, tugs at your heartstrings more than adults and it's i've always found it fascinating that i mean you could have a serial killer if he kills 20 adults i mean well that's terrible but then he kills one child and it makes it sound like that's way worse but um because children in a sense they're innocent they're even though they're not i mean they're still infected with sin like the rest of us but they're not held responsible to the same degree there there's a degree of um beauty in children that adults don't have, innocence in a sense. So no, I, I, I get it that this is hard to explain why God would kill all the firstborn sons, whether they were um, 
adults or teenagers or um, young people. It's difficult. But again, I mean, looking back at what the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites for who knows how long that program was going on, where every Hebrew boy that was born was thrown into the Nile River to drown. Um, and nowhere does it say that the Egyptian people protested against this or fought against Pharaoh or anything. So it seems that the Egyptians were fully supportive of Pharaoh's command to do this. So um, to me, it's justice for them to experience some of the same pain the Israelites had been experiencing for, for who knows, decades, maybe a century or more where this was going on. Um, does that make it easy? Of course not. It's still terrible. But um, when you commit grievous sins, you have to be prepared for um, grievous judgment. So I would say um, that the answer, my answer is that Egypt brought the, this on themselves by their um, the horrible sins they were committing against the Israelites and by um, them refusing to heed God's warnings and let the Israelites go when um, God commanded them to. So all of this could have been avoided, but um, Egypt and Pharaoh continued to rebel against God and refused to listen and treat the Israelites horribly. So God brought the most painful judgment possible on the Egyptians to show them who he was and help them to realize the gravity of the sin they'd been committing against Israelites. Mm. So bringing this thinking, you know, up into some, uh, some cultural implications for today, um, do you think, Shay, that our culture is friendly towards the idea of authority in general? Mm. You had to like, ask this right before an election, didn't you? <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, I am so ready for this election to be over just because of all the ads, the arguing on social media, the, oh, people are, pretend like they respect authority if they agree with that authority. Mm. But um, then as soon as that authority gets into power, they find more ways to, you're like, no, we're, we're all programmed to want to be our own boss, to be the masters of our own domain and destiny um, so we like authority to a point until that authority tells us to do something we don't want to do um, so no it's like lucifer's sin uh, perhaps the highest of all the angels but he wasn't satisfied with that he wanted if you read the passage in isaiah 14 there's a series of i will statements i will ascend above the throne of god i will do this and that satan wanted to be god wasn't satisfied and so we all tend towards the same thing we want to be our own gods we want to be our own boss we don't want anyone telling us what to do so um the same sin that the egyptians struggled with but not wanting to listen to god we, we deal with the same thing um often thankfully um the longer we're christians the longer we get to know God and his word. Um, God softens our heart and our rebellion is usually not over big things anymore, just little stubborn sins and um, 
preferences, like we like to call them. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, the seemingly lifelong struggle is learning to progressively submit to God because it goes against our human nature because we're, we want to be, we ultimately, we don't want to obey God. We want to be God. Mm. See, so, so that's amazing because when you consider that there are an awful lot of arguments out there and uh, we, we hear this coming from atheists all the time, and uh, the the nun, N-O-N-E, population is growing, and they want disciples. They want, uh, you know, there to be no God in public education. Uh, they want people to believe like they believe. They want disciples, perhaps in some situations, I would say, again, this is my opinion, more than some Christians want there to be Christian disciples. They really want to undermine any opportunity that they have. They want to undermine the God of the Bible. So have you noticed, Shay, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have, especially with the, the organization that you're with, or the ministry that you're with, why is it that so many people are so hateful toward the idea of a supreme being? No, um, I've often wondered this, and specifically, you can see it in our culture that why is it that there's so much hostility towards the Christian idea of God or the Judeo-Christian idea of God where no one seems to really care about Buddhists or Hindus or even to a certain extent Muslims, but the Christian view of God is one that gets all the attention. Ultimately, I think it, there's a satanic element to it that... Um, the desire to fight against the one true God is being perpetuated by um, our spiritual enemy. Um, and second, it's, as we talked about before, it's, it's ingrained in us to not want to have a God that we're accountable to, that um, to assuage our guilty consciences for the sins we've committed, to make ourselves feel like we have the freedom to do anything we want at any time we want um, in order to accomplish those things there can't be a sovereign god that we're accountable to so the hostility comes from deep down we know there is a god and eternity is in our hearts he, um, he's revealed himself in creation he's revealed himself in our very hearts so ultimately we know there's a god but we don't like the implications of that therefore we do everything we can to fight against that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's fascinating and yet extremely um, discouraging to see the depths that people will go to to try to remove every um, hint of God from society when ultimately you know deep down that person knows there's a God. Mm. Um, they're just doing everything they can to a sense hide from it um so yeah it, it i mean you hear these atheists making all these arguments and often you um can talk to them and share with them and get down to okay tell me about you and your background and you find that they had a strongly negative experience with a religious authority at some point in the past or they had a family who drugged them to church every Sunday, but then were 
complete hypocrites the entire time they were at home. So mm. Stuff like that. So it's not so much that you don't disagree with the God, the idea of God. You disagree with the view of God that you have and therefore don't want anything to do with that God. But our job as believers is to clearly teach and present the one true God to tell people that, yes, he is righteous and holy and just, but he is also loving and merciful and gracious. And the relationship with God not only um, guarantees you eternity in heaven after death, but also gives you a meaningful life here. And the fact that so many people, we have to fight so much to even get to the point of people admitting that there is a God, which is an important first step for basically everything in the Christian life. Um, it's we're at a frustrating time. Um, and wow, I don't know if I, my ramble just answered your question, but no, definitely. Yeah. So. so- I'm, I'm going to kind of tie these last two together because they, they kind of pair up well. So um, a recent study this is done in 2012, I believe, by a Christian research institution said that uh, 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. And um, I, we both know that, that that extends even into the idea of authority. So today in the culture that we live in, which um, I don't think that any pastors that have gone before would envy this time and want to be preachers here, there is so much hate there is so much anger, even between people in the church. I mean, even the current pandemic that we're in, there are, I'm not wearing a mask, and yes, you have to wear a mask. You know, everybody is being so divided over this entire thing. And uh, as we kind of look at all that we've talked about so far, it doesn't seem as though the authority issues are only outside of the church. I mean, you're seeing 100 million views, you know, and and people are asking questions. So do you think that the church at large is doing a good job at addressing issues of authority with our current congregations? I mean, obviously, the COVID pandemic's the hot topic right now. So you, you brought it up with the wearing masks or not wearing masks. And just to give you a practical example here in Colorado Springs, and, um, one of our employees attends a church where they are completely ignoring all of the governor's COVID restrictions. They're not wearing masks. They're not social distancing. They're not limiting their number of people. And there's a decent number of people in the church who are like, um, I'm I'm over 70 years old and have bad lungs and bad heart. You know, I'd really appreciate it if you would think of me in this. And so and the pastor will say, well, you just need to um, trust God more. It's like, well, that's one thing for you to say. But so, yeah, it's the conflict over something like that. Why should people in the church respect their pastor's authority as the shepherd God has placed over them when the pastor is not respecting anything of the the government where the Bible clearly says we are to submit to the government unless doing so would require us to violate the law of God. Mm. So this battle over authority is is constant and it 
plays a role in virtually every conflict we see is like, um, who are you to tell me what to do? And pastors, some pastors are saying that to the government and some people in the congregation are saying that to the pastors. So um, obviously the government is thumb, thumbing its nose at God to a certain extent. So yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle in a sense of rebelling against authority. Um, and I'm not saying who I think is right in this, um, in the pandemic, because honestly, I don't know. I, you can read experts on both sides saying this is effective, this isn't, do this, don't do that, and the next week is completely different. But um, just the attitude that people have, that um, it's almost like if the government tells you to do it, that makes you far less likely that you're actually going to do it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a mess. Can that be my answer? No, definitely, definitely no. That, that, that definitely can. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so tough. And, uh, you know, people literally are trying to do the best that they, that they possibly can. And then, um, you know, there, there is just a, a dichotomy, you know, of, of, of what to do. So, um, but I, I, I think, you know, just wrapping all this up, kind of, kind of, you know, braining our thoughts in here, literally there are consequences when we try to live outside of God's authority. Egypt, uh, definitely suffered that. And, um, perhaps some of the things that we're going through right now are, are, because we also refuse, you know, even here in 2020, to submit to uh, to God's authority and to the authority that He's, he's placed over each one of us. So, uh, yeah, Shay, I, re- I really, really appreciate your time, and uh, boy, you you really have a have a heart for people and and a mind that is just full of Scripture. So I really appreciate that, and I just want to give you an opportunity to tell listeners how they can find out more about you and about the ministry of of Got Questions. Well, thank you, Jason. I love the being on the show. It's a great conversation. It's a very important one. It's, I mean, we get a lot of questions about um, how God can be just and do some of the things he does in the Bible. And those are important questions to ask. And some people ask the questions from a hard-hearted perspective where they're not really interested in the answer. They're just trying to be a troll or just trying to see if they can make you angry. But others genuinely struggle with this like help me to understand how this fits what the bible says about god being love so these are great questions to be studying um in in terms of um, telling people about the website um, i just say got questions the bible has answers we'll help you find them Mm. Um, any question you have about the bible please visit gotquestions.org we have over seven thousand frequently asked questions published on the website. You also have the ability to ask us a question if um, you can't find an answer on the website. And we've got a team of dedicated volunteers ready to answer your questions and to point you to both Jesus Christ as your Savior and to God's Word as your authority. Well, that is awesome. I thank you so much for your time, Shay. Thank you so much uh, just for, for investing into our congregation up here in New York State praying for you and for your family. So again, thank you. Thank you, Jason. God bless. God bless you too.